One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/spoken today. Hi, I'm Andy Murray and you're listening to the Tennis Podcast. And welcome to the Tennis Podcast, brought to you in association with The Telegraph, brought to you once again from Marlebone Station, where it is about 400 degrees warmer than the last time we were in Marlebone Station, David, when I was wearing my Eskimo outfit, because as far as I'm concerned, spring has sprung, it's over 10 degrees, it's February in London, but I don't care, the birds are singing, it's all great, I play tennis twice this weekend, it's spring, it's all great, and I'm not even wearing a coat, so isn't it, I mean, it's all just wonderful. How did your tennis go? Did you, did you get any W's, as they say? Oh, that's a horrible expression. It was a non-competitive hit around, I mean, t- to be honest, the dilapidated state of local tennis courts, Wandsworth Council, if you are watching or listening, pay attention, uh, the, the courts at Wandsworth Park. Um, given the poor state of them, I don't think it would have been fair to anyone to uh, to play any kind of competitive match. So we just we just did our best. So you're blaming your performance on the court surface? Was the speed not not suitable for a serve volley chip charger like yourself? Serve <laughs> volley chip charger. I actually used my freebie balls from my ATP World Tour Finals goodie bag and at the gym today, which for people watching on Periscope, as I'll mention once again, is why my face is purple and my hair is wet at the gym today I used my uh, ATP World Tour Finals personalised towel which as great as it is I now makes me I now realise it makes me look like a real idiot having having a a personalised towel embroidered with my own name in the gym it's just it's not very cool is it thanks ATP very much but it's not cool well it kind of is cool until somebody sort of just I, I remember once playing tennis with with something that had my name on it when I was about twelve, and somebody just oh, you're twelve, is yeah, all right? Somebody walked past and said, "Dave, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> oh, I've got it on my chest." Right. We start every podcast now with a David Law anecdote, don't we? That's becoming sort of... I'm going to start writing it into the agenda. Anyway, we have an agenda for today. It's very exciting. It starts with a roundup of Doha last week. We'll come on to Karolina Pliskova, the champion, in a minute. But first of all, what a horrendous week of weather. The organisers in Qatar must have been wondering what on earth they did to anger the weather gods last week because there really was a point, I think, on Thursday or Friday, I think Friday, which was semi-finals day in Doha because they finished the event on Saturday, where they were genuinely contemplating the prospect of not completing the event. Apparently in the WTA rules, it states that you have one day beyond your schedule to get the event completed. And if you can't do so within that time, you have to finish up without a champion. 
which which is an extraordinary thought. I can see David's mind whirring. You're trying to go back through the annals of your mind and think whether that's ever happened before. But they were they were planning for that eventuality. Luckily, the rain stopped long enough on Saturday just for them to get the finals played. Pliskova Wozniacki played both their semi-finals quarterfinals and semi-finals in the same day on Friday. It was an extraordinary week of weather and tennis, wasn't it, David? It was, uh, and I felt very sorry for them, to be honest. And it did, you know, you talk about rem- memories of, of whether it's ever happened before. I can't, I can remember once, I think, cancelling a doubles tournament during a tournament because of, because of bad weather. But I've been, I've been in many situations where the rain has been so bad whether it be at certainly at Queens a couple of times, um, at uh, in Gestad uh, in 2000 in Gestad in Switzerland, I remember we were. I was supposed to leave on Saturday uh, after the final. I left on Tuesday, and I had to go straight to the tournament in Umag. Wonderful tournament by the beach in Croatia in Umag. Ended up meeting my wife that week, so that was good. Um, however, uh, in, in Gestad, um, in Switzerland, uh, we, we would have press conference day after day with the tournament supervisor where you would just where the questions were, what happens? If, and I, and I, used to, I used to say I wasn't really popular, actually, because in the, in the, backstage with the, uh, with the officials, I would say, what happens if it just doesn't stop raining, like, for weeks? What do we do? And nobody really wanted to consider that eventuality at all. Um, but I don't, I can't think of any, any time when literally you haven't got through it eventually. But there were times during the, the Doha event, and you know they were getting sandstorms in, in Dubai as well, and, and rain. That I, I did wonder whether Doha was going to actually finish. They did really well to finish it. Yeah, it was a real fight to the finish line. Karolina Pliskova, the champion, six three six four in the final over Caroline Wozniacki. We'll come on to her in a minute. But Pliskova, I mean, the, the consensus now is completely... I mean, it's not building. It's, it seems to be built to me that she is, at the very least, a Grand Slam champion in waiting, quite possibly a world number one in waiting. Well, ordinarily at this point, I would quote the results of a pole vault that I ran uh, a few days ago on this very subject. But uh, you did the agenda today and refused to put it on. So, I mean, um, the stats speak for themselves. She's 15-1 and one this year. That's her second title. Just that loss to Mariana lucic Baroni in the quarterfinals of the Australian Open. She came to Doha straight from Fed Cup, where she helped Czech Republic to beat Spain. I mean, she, she's an iron woman of tennis now, isn't she? And, and I think probably we haven't given it as much attention as we normally would because she didn't go to the very final stages of the Australian Open. Because she lost in the quarterfinals, we've ended up talking more about other people I mean I I feel as though Grigor Dimitrov's got a similar record but actually not quite as good if you look at it in terms of sheer numbers and yet he's got a lot more attention because he ended up going to the semis of the Australian because he very nearly beat Rafael Nadal but yeah I mean that one match aside Is she a Grand Slam champion and or a future world number one? That's a very good question I think the I asked on Twitter, Polvolt was, is she the next one? And I said, obviously, no, it's Garbini Magarutha because I don't want to betray the prediction that I made at the start of the year. However, I think if you put the two of those two side by side right now, that's a very interesting question, isn't it? Which 
which of them is going to reach world number one if either first. I mean, Pliskova, yeah, I definitely think Pliskova will win a Grand Slam. She's surely the safer bet, safer than Muguruza. I'm not saying Muguruza won't go there. If if I had to bet my life on somebody, it would be Pliskova. Muguruza is an enigma, isn't yeah, she? She's Muguruza an enigma. Has won a slam. Muguruza has won a slam. That's different, isn't it? I mean, you know, she's. Are we all... talking about well? I thought we were talking about number one. I, I understand that, but when. When she got to her final, Muguruza, she didn't. Uh, she she won. She won the title. Now Pliskova, yeah. I mean, I think she will win a, win a slam. But I think that there's, there's more unknown about her, isn't there? I'm not sure there is. What's unknown about Pliskova? I'm not. I'm, I mean, uh, you know, uh, other than you know the secrets of her past and things to do with her person. But I, I think she's very much exactly what it says on the tin and we know it, it, things have clicked for her now I'm not sh- not saying there won't be ups and downs but it it's it's well the worst possible spin on it is it's a pretty one-dimensional game what, what I mean but it's a blooming good one-dimensional game but there's no plan b for her is there it, it, it is what it is and most of the time she knocks people off the court and it works brilliantly what don't we know about what are we yet to be convinced about by Karolina Pliskova whether she can keep on doing it in slams, because who did she lose to at the... Uh, the Mirjana Lucic-Baroni, which becomes even more of a shock in retrospect, doesn't it? Now that, you know, that's her only loss of the year to Mirjana Lucic-Baroni. But, but as much as I have untold respect for Mirjana Lucic-Baroni, that is a poor loss against a player ranked, you know, way down relatively speaking that is not a match that Pliskova should have lost when she's in that sort of form is it yeah but I mean if we're comparing her to Muguruza I mean Muguruza's had as many if not more surprise losses I mean she was battered off the court by uh, Coco Vandewey in Australia wasn't she I, I mean I can't tell whether you're playing devil's advocate or whether you agree with me I mean Muguruza is an enigma isn't she she could she could beat everybody in straight sets one week or she could put in a horror performance and look like she doesn't really care about tennis at all you just don't know what you're going to get true I definitely feel that Pliskova is producing it more regularly now and actually I think she's got her her scheduling right I mean I think it's it's uh, it's given even more importance because she's such a fed cup devotee she will always play uh, she has which to is get- great I think it is. She has to get that scheduling right because certainly for a while in 2015, she was playing way... She was the team of women's tennis. She was playing way too much. And we'll come on to Dominic team later, by the way. We will. But no, look, I think Pliskova, I'm not 100% convinced she will get to world number one. I think she would definitely win a slam. I'm not convinced about world number one yet. That's very interesting. Very interesting because you, you, you are... I... I, I, I give credit to your opinion I'm not 100% convinced she will be but the, the wealth of opinion does seem to be very strongly that she definitely will get to world number one so it's interesting to hear you say differently David Wozniacki she was in the final I have to say personally I was so delighted to see her doing what she does best and doing what made her famous so well proving and reminding everybody that she's first and foremost a very very good tennis player everybody has their own various feelings on the sports illustrated swimsuit edition of which she was a major feature this week as was Jeannie Bouchard and a few other players but uh yeah personally I don't 
enjoy seeing tennis players in the Sports Illustrated Swimsuit Edition. I don't vilify them for that. I don't hold it against them. I hold it against the people that think that the Sports Illustrated Swimsuit Edition is a good idea. Um, So each to their own. If that's what she, she wants to do, that's fine. But I'm more pleased to see her reaching the final of a tennis tournament than I am to see her on the centrefold of Sports Illustrated. I would share those views. Uh, And actually, she is Joe Conta thrashing aside, stringing together a lot of good results. And, you know, I I think you have to give those two, Wozniacki and Pliskova, enormous credit for coming through that week in which you've got this awful weather. I mean, it must be so hard to keep focused and to keep patience and to keep coming out and playing and then it rains and all the rest of it and you know those are two great professionals now we're going to talk about Angelique Kerber because uh, she lost very early to Daria Kazakina, her second loss to Kazakina of the year but I think first of all we should uh, check out of our periscope A because I've already talked about Kerber during our technical issues and B because we want all the many millions of people tuning in to have a reason still to download the podcast don't we yeah and all the best stuff's coming up on the podcast after this. We've been holding fire, but anyway. Is it? I'm not sure it is. But anyway, it has been a great pleasure to have you all participating on our live, uh, our live pole vault. Now, Catherine, I'm a Reading fan too. Come on, you ours. Are we going to get promoted? That's a big old question, that is. I think I'm, I'm a pessimist when it comes to Reading. I, I, I see... Um, playoff misery in our near future I'm afraid but playoffs are fun while they last aren't they but it has been an absolute pleasure to have you uh, join us on the Periscope we're going to carry on recording our regular audio podcast please still download it there's probably another half hour of, of tennis related drivel to come from us it's going to be great and we will be doing a Periscope again soon when hopefully I will have a less purple face goodbye Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, it's Sharon, and here's where it gets interesting. Raise your hand if you want salon perfect nails for just two dollars a manicure. Yeah, me too. With the Alvin June Manny system, you can say goodbye to expensive services that take hours and hours and love your nails more than ever. I would know I've been doing it for years. Get 20% off your first Manny system with code PERFECTMANNY20 at alvinjune.com slash PERFECTMANNY20. That's PERFECTMANNY20 at alvinjune.com slash PERFECTMANNY20. Uh, We'll look ahead to Dubai in a minute and uh, talk about what's been happening in the ATP tour and uh, lots of other stuff as well. But first of all, Angelique Kerber, another early loss for her, a second loss of the year to Daria Kazakina. No shame in that. I know Kazakina is a fantastic player. We just uh, she was drawn against Wozniacki, incidentally, in the first round of Dubai. She's she has lost that, but 
that's a, that's a tricky old draw, a fantastic draw for the organisers to have in the first round. What is going on with Angelique Kerber? Is it merely, is it exactly the same um, malaise that we saw in her in Australia? Does the fact that it's extended beyond Australia and beyond you know, the, the obvious strain of having to defend a Grand Slam title for the first time, does the fact that this is continuing worry you, David? Yeah, it, it, it kind of does on her behalf. In fact, the whole thing um, is is all a bit of a, a concern just because she doesn't look as though she's enjoying it enormously. And, you know, I, I, I mean... I don't want to get over dramatic, but it feels a bit like Leicester City in the Premier League, you know, winning the title last year, and then they look like they might get relegated. Uh, if, if you follow British football, that, that's an extraordinary story of, of, of a wonderful moment and then a real struggle thereafter. Now, obviously, these are embryonic stages of 2017 so she may just pull it together she's a great professional I mean she's you know this is somebody who hasn't just out of the blue flash in the pan like Leicester gone and won the big one she's been a top 10 player for many many years she's been top five now um, and she's been a slam semi-finalist but still last year was out of the blue it was it was not expected for us to to be talking about her winning two slams reaching the final of a third and being number one in the world she doesn't look like she belongs right now um but that can change i mean i i I hope for her sake it does and and also i still think she's a really a really decent person i i I mean i don't know her very well but just the little the few dealings i've had with her and the way she carries herself i think she can be a sore loser at times like most people can but her general personality i think i think she's a really really decent person so I, i hope it comes good for her I do too, but I'd agree with you. Um, it, this is almost more of a concern than, than what happened in Australia. That felt so expected to me. You know, I harked on about it at the time on the podcast, just seeing her body language and how little she seemed to be enjoying being there, the obvious fatigue in her eyes. It looked like she just wanted to get the defence of her first Grand Slam title out of the way. But... You know, she didn't have an awful lot to defend in, in Doha and she's going into Dubai this week where she does have the chance, in theory, to go back to world number one, to re-topple Serena Williams. She'd have to win the event. Uh, she's the top seed, but I don't think it's a too extravagant a claim to say it's highly unlikely that she will do that because she has played five times in Dubai and she has only ever won one match and she's coming in there on horrible form so it seems unlikely that she will turn around that horrible uh, record in Dubai this week this year it's it's a tricky one isn't it because you're looking for little moments where it might turn for her and it kind of feels like it needs to happen quite soon because, you know, yes, you've got you've got Indian Wells and Miami. Maybe it'll happen at one of those. She hasn't got the greatest record in the world on clay. Um, she's done very, very well in Stuttgart. That's a tournament I think she's won there for the last two years, so maybe that'll be the place. But crucially, she has a lot less to defend on clay. First round loss in Paris, the pressure will be off there and the fact that every she's well known to be less good on clay. She will be going into that portion of the season with less pressure yeah I mean I, I mean I, I I don't like to 
ascribe what things uh, reasons for, for for losses of form without knowing i don't know her and i haven't spoken to her in depth about it i've got my suspicions as to as to what it is i think it it is a large part of the, it is the reasons we've we've talked about but you know somehow she's got to just play tennis just just do what got her there somehow um because if she does do what got her there she'll start winning tennis matches again even though I think she's a real scalp now I think players look at her and think actually she doesn't hit the ball that hard if I play really well I can coke her Vanderway her you know it's that kind of approach but if Kerber goes back to doing what got her there she will start winning again well, as you said earlier, we hope that she does. She is in the top half of the draw with Dominika Sibylkova, Svitolina, Elena Viznina. The bottom half of the draw is where it's really stacked. Pliskova, Radvanska, Muguruza, Stritseva, the defending champion, incidentally, Isara Irani. She beat Stritseva in the final last year. So it's, it's, it's a very, very strong draw. Obviously, the absence of Serena Williams uh, is gaping, but we're very used to that at these sorts of events. We expect to see her in Indian Wells in a couple of weeks though don't we and, and also um dubai has its problems doesn't it in terms of uh, of pullouts and it's been the case for the last couple of years i mean i think ultimately you know players cannot play everything and the ones that play fed cup as well it's a big ask for them dominic team is trying <laughs> and actually you know fair play to plishkiva and Muguruza. they keep they keep playing but it's not easy. We've seen Joe Conta pull out in uh, in Dubai. She obviously had a very um, wearing week last week. You know, we, we heard about it from Anki Othavong. She played four singles matches in four days. She also played a doubles on the final day. She's ended up with a foot foot problem. And, you know, something's going to have to give somewhere, you think, in a calendar. And obviously Indian Wells, Miami around the corner great opportunities for massive points and prestige as well so it's a shame though for Dubai because it's been depleted and that's a premier five event yeah it, it, it it's a strange portion of the season this one because you've got these really great events and they are great events you know Dubai the men's and women's ones is fantastic you know Doha they do a very good job the organization they're Rotterdam likewise but they are in terms of sort of the context, the narrative of the tennis calendar, they are sort of slightly placeholder events, aren't they? I mean, in your head, the average tennis fan will think, you know, Australian swing, Australian open, and then Indian Wells, Miami, and then clay court season, and then a little bit of a, a lull when I would say there are some other placeholder type events, and then you get into US Open, you know, the, the second American hardcourt swing, and then you're into indoors. That's the story of a tennis season, and these events here, this sort of mini indoor slash outdoor in the Middle East uh, swing doesn't quite fit in with anything, does it? It's, I think it's quite difficult for the lay person, the non-hardcore tennis fan, to engage with it, as harsh as that sounds. Yeah, uh, I think there's some there's some truth to that, and um, they've you know it makes sense in a way that it goes to a new Wales off, off the back of another hardcore tournament. But yeah, I mean there's a lot of tennis and I understand everybody wants their piece of it thank goodness that they do thank goodness that the Middle East wants to put on big tennis tournaments and they are very well run too but yeah I mean they're suffering at the moment partly because of the weather and partly because of the pullouts 
Doha incidentally seems to have plans to build a brand new 12,000 seater stadium with roof which will be completed by 2020 or 2021 or something they're not short of cash in that part of the world are they so uh, we look forward to a roof in Doha before too long on the ATP side of things he's been getting very excited David about Ryan Harrison those are words I never thought I'd say. Tell us what Ryan Harrison has done this week. Little old Ryan Harrison. Well, he's won his first ever tournament uh, in Memphis. And, I mean, I've I, I, I followed his career quite closely over the years because he was one of the youngest players to ever to play a professional tournament, to my knowledge. He was a really young teenager. And then he had his sort of breakthrough period where he came on the scene, I suppose with Dimitrov and Raonic and Nishikori was kind of that era but it and and, and I mean America after after Roddick he was the one they were talking about he was the next one uh, I suppose after Isner and uh, Query but you know he was he more was expected of him and this is kind of before Jack Sock came along but it it just didn't happen. I mean, he he had some real difficulties. Did uh, did Ryan Harrison, and not not least, I mean, if you actually look at a period of his draws over about eighteen months, he kept on drawing like Novak Djokovic first round, Andy Murray, people like that in the biggest uh, tournaments of the lot, and you're likely to lose them, no matter if you are playing well. And he did lose them. And the problem is, when you're in that situation. You then, I think, you find it really hard to actually get any momentum going, to get any points on the board, to get into the draws that you want to get into. And we've seen it with Dan Evans now. He he he's had his best form at the tournaments where the biggest, most points are available, and suddenly he shot up the rankings. Now he gets into the big tournaments, and you know, unless you play all of those lower ones and just win the lot I mean you find it really hard I think to, to get up there and um, he played Memphis he didn't lose a set he played really well and he was really emotional afterwards in his on-court speech and you know good for him that he won that because it would given what he's kind of gone through on the court over the last two or three years where he's just been kind of derided by people people have just mocked his lack of progress yeah, he's become a bit of a punchline hasn't he which is which is a shame and sort of the poster boy for um unfulfilled overhyped talent i suppose which is you know it's not his fault it's not his fault he's not quite talented enough to be a top 10 player is it and, and also the first person who jumped on twitter to congratulate him was andy roddick who he's trained a lot with i know thinks a lot of him and and has always admired his work ethic if if nothing else you know he said this guy gives everything he's got i think i mean i don't know harrison well i've interviewed him once or twice i i think he he perhaps ended up suffering results wise a little bit due to his own hype as well in the interview i did with him at the australian open i think three years ago he he just came out i mean maybe it's four years ago in fact it's 2013 i think he came out and he said i think i can be world number one and and it's great to kind of want to, to achieve that and believe you might be able to achieve that but he was kind of walking the walk before he'd actually done anything really and i think that that must lead to disappointment when you don't get the results. It's tricky on that, isn't it? Because our, our Western culture, I'm going to go off on one now, our Western culture of reality shows, particularly, it has to be said, in America, is, you know, you've got to, you've got to dream big. You know, if you, if you 
dream it, you can be it. That's what you're told, isn't it? If you don't dream big, then you never have a chance of achieving it. So that's what sort of the the overhyped media is telling you, isn't it? that you know no matter how many knockbacks you get no matter no matter what your level of ability even if you walk into an audition with Simon Cowell and you can't sing a note you're supposed to walk out and go I'll show them I'll show them I know better I believe in myself and that's enough so it's a tricky one isn't it you're not going to get there if you don't believe in yourself if you don't believe that you can do it there's nobody that ever got there by going oh I'm really not sure you know look at look at Sasha Zverev, he sure as heck believes he's going to be a world number one one day, and he probably will be. So it's a really tricky one. I mean, yeah, obviously it looks silly if you don't do it and you end up doing a Ryan Harrison for a few years, but <sighs> equally you look silly if you don't believe. Yeah, <laughs> but I'm pleased, I'm pleased for him, you know. I mean, he obviously meant the world to him. And uh, side note, his his opponent, uh, Nick Nick. Nicholas Basashvili Basilashvili Bas- conqueror of Dominic Team. Oh yeah. Did you see what well, he- not that that's anything to shout about these days. You should see what he was wearing. I mean, wow. Uh, I, I got widely mocked for, for raising attention to it on Twitter last night because basically um, he's got this uh, this brand which I've since discovered I think is called Hydrogen. And apparently, uh, I should have known, according to Twitter, that Simone Bellelli has been wearing it for many years and, uh, and Fabio Fanini has been wearing it for the last few months. Anyway, it's effectively a skull is the logo. Uh, a, 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 oh, yeah, I have seen this, yeah. I must admit, I, I, I don't think I have seen Fabio Fanini play tennis for the last six months, so, yeah, guilty as... And he's been in many televised matches, has he? <laughs> no, so, uh, anyway, Twitter was aghast that I would dare to not have watched the lower le- leagues of tennis and not know this already, but anyway... We're too big time for that here on the... T- <laughs> too big time to watch Fabio Fanini toiling around in the lower leagues. <laughs> Apparently I am, yeah. Uh, so, anyway, I, I thought... It was particularly jarring to see this uh, this skull for a logo, but my goodness, it was eye-catching. Have a look at it if you if you get a chance. Well, we're talking about it, aren't we? So job done for Hydrogen, uh, not an official sponsor of the Tennis Podcast. Uh, we've had uh, <laughs> Alexander Dolgopolov toppling Kei Nishikori to win the title in Buenos Aires. Now, you tweeted that you would pay a heck of a lot of money or something to watch that match. I'm not saying it's not a good match but I, that wasn't what I thought when I saw that match up I thought god that looks like an ordeal watching, watching that match you are you David Law is it, it's a shame we're not still periscoping because David Law is looking at me aghast I, I'm quite hurt actually <laughs> I mean I love watching Dolgopolov play yeah but Dolgopolov I'm talking about that match up Dolgopolov against Nishikori when will the point ever end no, 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 <laughs> It no. looks wounded. No, I don't agree in the slight. I really don't. I'm really surprised you said that because they are both shot makers. They're, neither one of them is more than six feet tall. I think they're both 5'10". And they both play quickly. And, you know, neither neither of them have got a huge serve. Actually, Dogoplov really has got a good serve. He hits a lot of aces. I just love... Incredibly quick motion. It gets a lot of disguise on that serve, doesn't he? Both of those players are shot makers with, with power that doesn't look like it has any obvious starting points. You, you look at them and you think, well, 
where's your bulging muscles? Where's your massive wingspan? You hit, they, neither of them have got either of those things. You said that to their faces. Oh. Where are your bulging muscles? Yeah, if I can see them from up on high at six feet seven inches tall, then I will I will tell them. But um, I, I find them so exciting to watch both of them. And I mean, against each other. Ah, oh, I mean. I would watch. I would pay money to watch that, unquestionably. David is having a fanboy moment just at the prospect of those two playing one another again. So congratulations to uh, Alexander Dolgopolov, title for him in Buenos Aires. Joe Wilford Songa won the title in Rotterdam. What a nice sight to see Joe, Joe Wilford Songa still winning titles. I don't want to get... You know, he's not a spent force or anything, but he's certainly not being talked about as a potential Grand Slam champion, really anymore is he so it's nice to see him reminding people that he's still there he's still a contender it, it is I, I do think with Joe Wilfred Songer and I, I tweeted this last night upon thinking this and ran a pole vault which I'm not allowed to talk about there's no point in doing the podcast because you've already tweeted your every thought about everything prior to recording there is there are no secrets of the mind of David Law just engaging conversation <laughs> but basically um songa has he has he under delivered on his talent you know you know you look at what he's capable of and how that racket looks like a lollipop in his hands because he's so big and he's powerful and i watched that match he played against um dan evans and i keep bringing up dan evans but you know Okay, Evans won the first set, but he manhandled the guy and the talent. He was handling the best stuff Evans could throw at him and he was just brushing him aside. And then he played against Stan Wawrinka in the next round and he didn't win a set. I think he played quite well for the first part of it and then they had that that falling out and then he, it went all wrong. But You looking at me? You know, you you think of that that match that he played against Nadal in the semi-finals of the Australian Open when he when he reached the final. Um, and some of the other performances he's had on grass, and he beat Federer from two sets to love down. Don't you think that perhaps he's just not bothered enough whether he's a champion? I mean, he's a, a, an amazing talent, a lovely guy, incidentally, a really lovely guy. I've met him on a number of occasions doing what we do for a living, and he couldn't be nicer, more charming, more helpful in interviews, more helpful for organisers. He never, He doesn't turn anybody down for autographs and he's just a good good bloke right but don't you think that he's kind of just he's satisfied more or less where he is really he's happy he's happy he's he's got a good life um he's obviously earning plenty of money he's people love him but do you not think that if he was desperate enough to be a champion that he might be able to get more out of himself I think perhaps week in, week out, he's not desperate. Perhaps he doesn't, he doesn't have the gene which gives you the drive to be a world number one, the drive to maximise your ranking. But I think when he gets on the court in a big match, big time situation, he wants it as much as anybody else. And I know it's not about wanting it in that moment. It's about wanting it in the gym weeks before that moment. And I don't, I don't know how hard he works off the court. He certainly, I, I've never seen him look... Uh, I've never seen him lose a match because I felt he's not fit enough or not up to it. I mean, he tends to lose the big matches because as great a tennis player as he is, he does have limitations. He doesn't... And the limitations, I think, are in his brain. He doesn't play the right shots at the right moments. He's a low-percentage player, and when that works, it's 
the most swashbuckling, brilliant to watch tennis you can wish for. And when it doesn't, it looks like, oh, Joe, why have you picked that shot? Why have you played that? Why have you gone for a forehand on the run winner over the highest part of the net and break point down? You know, what are you playing at? And, and that's what makes him great, but it's also what makes him not quite good enough to be a Grand Slam champion. He, you know, a multiple Grand Slam semi finalist and a Grand Slam finalist, I think is about right for him. And I don't think he's got anything to to regret personally so, so don't you think therefore that if maybe five years ago remember when he worked with Roger Rashid for a while didn't he but remember imagine if he, he decided to get a super coach if he got a Lendl right or somebody like that um, five years ago could they have got that last few percent out of him by teaching him those that, it's almost like there's a bit of the Dimitrovs from the last few years about him can do so many things but doesn't kind of end up doing any of them really you know just reacts almost to what's going on on the court whereas Danny Valvedu we've talked about it in the last couple of weeks has suddenly cottoned on right and he told us on the on the podcast uh, in during the Australian Open he said he said right these are your strengths this is what we're going to focus on your serve your forehand your movement right that's what's going to win you tennis matches first of all then we'll worry about the rest and I and, and he's worked out patterns of play to win him points reliably and I feel as though Songa maybe I just feel maybe he could have got more out of himself maybe with the right guidance and maybe with the right killer instinct almost you could be right, possibly, but I mean, Songa has an obvious weakness in his game, which Dimitrov doesn't. The, the backhand is a weakness, certainly relative to the forehand. It is, it's attackable. It, you, you, you can walk onto the court against Songa and, and think, right, I'm just going to pummel this guy's backhand, which Dimitrov doesn't have. Skill-wise, Dimitrov is a, a better tennis player. I know that doesn't necessarily count for anything, but in terms of you know tricks in the book, you give it you give it to Dimitrov and, and, and yes they both have the same issue of, of the gene the, that instinctive choosing the right shot at the right time for me that's such an underrated feature of the top tennis players choosing the right shot at the right time the tennis IQ that is I mean it's what when you watch Dimitrov not so much of late it has to be said uh, don't, we, we don't need to get excited about Dimitrov again uh, this week because he did have a slightly disappointing loss in Rostelab didn't he just ran out of steam but, but anyway still a good week a good week Oh, yeah, no, well, uh, I thought he was going to come back and win that one, but anyway, I was live on I was live on Periscope. You were, uh, yeah, you can't get enough of Periscope. But anyway, what I was going to say was sometimes when I'm watching Dimitrov, I'm thinking I can't, or I previously wasn't quite able to put my finger on why he's not winning everything easily the way Roger Federer was in 2004. Sometimes I'm thinking your your backhand sort of better than Federer's I mean the forehand isn't that has to be said but it's it's not far off you know skill wise he has everything he's a physical colossus now and it's the that chip in the brain which tells you which makes you make the right decisions at the right time and uh, he's having to learn it analog he doesn't have it digitally Federer has it digitally it's hardwired Dimitrov's having to learn it the analog way and and Valvedu is helping him do that and I'm finding it very interesting seeing that process if he's having to override the hard hard wiring of, of his brain and that sort of learning 
you know, bread and butter patterns of play is a very, very good way of doing that, making that instinctive. But anyway, a I good... Think, um, I think I'm going to have a word with Danny Velvet in, see if he can give me a few tips of our rematch, because, you know, he seems to have cracked it. He ha- he ha- I mean, yeah, it's a blooming good advert for Danny Velvedy's abilities as a coach, that's for sure. Looking ahead to, the, well, it, was, it says next week, but it's not really a look ahead because it's all started. Um, Del Potro, Juan Martín Del Potro returning to ATP World Tour action in Delray Beach. And that's a real coup for Delray Beach because as charming and as, ev- as charming an event as that is, and I've been to it many times uh, for the ATP Champions Tour, and it is a lovely, I mean, it's a delightful town if you're considering a uh, a holiday on the Florida coast. You can't do any better than Delray Beach. It is delightful. Um, but it is... It's one of the lower-profile, sort of lower-rent events on the ATP <laughs> World Tour, it has to be said. They don't tend to get the biggest names, and they've suffered so much over the years from pullouts because they, they tend to, to sort of spend big appearance fees-wise on just one or two big names, and they always seem to have pulled out over the years. I remember being there, I think it was two years ago, when Del Potro was supposed to make one of his comebacks, and Chilich was their other top player, and both of them pulled out on the same day, and it it was just devastating. I really felt for them that day. So it's it's a big deal for them. I don't. I'm I'm, I'm at risk of sounding patronising, like I uh, like I was with the, talking about Sophia last week. I love the event. I really do. I I love the charming low keyness of it. But I'm pleased that they're having a bit of a moment in the sun with Del Potro coming back there. Yeah, uh, I I'd agree, and I I think it's I think it's the perfect tournament for him to come back into because because it isn't too too much intensity in, uh, in its surroundings and too much expectation. Yes, I mean, I suppose he's expected to win and go far, but I think it's perfect for him. I think he can, he can p- probably end up getting a couple of good wins, you know, without having to do too much. Raonic is the top seed there. He's probably the favourite to win it overall. But, yeah, great for them to have Raonic as well. Over in or down in uh, Rio de Janeiro, uh, David, who have we got? We've got Kei Nishikori and Dominic Team. That's who's playing. <laughs> they're headlining in Rio. What is Dominic Team doing in Rio, David? I don't know. I mean, I, you know, we've had this debate so many times. I mean, he had a good win over Zverev last week, coming from behind. He went four love down in the first set, but I just... And they lost to Pierre Hugobert. What's he doing? Oh, come on, Pierre Hugobert is he's... actually a very good player. He's a double specialist, and he's not as good as Dominic Team. and Dominic Team should not be losing that. He shouldn't be getting to semi-finals, facing Pierre Hugobert and losing. I would take issue with the idea that Pierre Hugobert is just a double specialist. He is a very, very good doubles player, but according to people that I've heard, and Mark Petchy was one of these commentating on that match, I think, actually, he said this guy should be... I can't remember what he, should, what he said, whether it was top 30 or top 50, but, like... I'd, I'd agree with that. Dominic Team should still be winning that match. Yeah, I mean, most of the time he should. I think on that, it's indoors, isn't it, Rotterdam? So I think that that is a small element of, of, of why that might happen. But, I mean, look, you're, you're right. You're right. I, I saw That's the first time I ever saw team play was in Rotterdam against Sandy Murray about three or four years ago. And he was sensational. There's no, there's no question he can play on that surface and, and do very well. I don't get his scheduling. I don't get it. I asked him in the Australian Open, as we know. I still don't. 100% feel like I 
understand it. I certainly don't agree with it. I mean, look, all, all due credit to him. If it's his career, do what you like. But I don't think it gives him the best chance of maximising his results at the biggest tournaments. I think it's fair to say that I agree with you, David. I think they're wanting to close the particular coffee shop that we're in, so better wind up. We're on to the any other business portion of uh, my agenda, and in there we have uh, Davis Cup. The surface and venue has been picked for the uh, GB France Davis Cup quarterfinal, and predictably it's on clay and it is in Rouen, a town that I have been to, David. It's in Rouen. What's it like? Um, it's all right. <laughs> it's all right. Del Potro's got Kevin it's not Anderson. Paris, let's no, put it that no, way. You know, I said he'd get some easy wins. Kevin Anderson first round, that's quite tough, isn't it? For it's all. quite tough, but Kevin Anderson's been out injured, hasn't he? He, does li- he lives in Delray Beach, incidentally, Kevin Anderson. Hmm. He could live anywhere. That, that's what I'm saying. It's a delightful place. Uh, and finally, on my any other business list. So, Ru- Ruan's all right, though. Right? It's all right, yeah. It's not on anyone's holiday destination list, I don't, I don't think. But... Tweet in if it is on your holiday destination list at Tennis Podcast. Finally, on my any other business, we have to get this in. I've got nothing to say about it, really, other than uh, (laughs) Roger Federer has tweeted a photo of himself um, with Bear Grylls filming Running Wild. He looks quite the outdoor adventurer. In fact, he looks like he's playing perhaps some kind of tennis in the snow with Bear Grylls. It's, it's, It's a great great picture i mean barack obama's done running wild with bear grills so it's only fair that roger federer should get an invitation isn't it federer we've seen a bit more of this of late haven't we it's sort of i don't know whether this got um promoted ahead of time or whether he just literally turned up in the mountains with bear grills and said oh here we are you know i mean i know it's going to be filmed uh, on nbc and discovery i believe this this uh this stuff that Federer is doing out there but it does appear to me that he's he's just he's almost like experimenting with life on a on almost a daily basis at the moment he's just feels to me like he's almost using tennis as his way to just drum up his bucket list and fulfill all of his dreams in life you know and and there he is I mean he just you, you never really see Federer looking anything other than absolutely delighted to be who he is really why wouldn't you be? Why wouldn't you be delighted to be Roger Federer? As uh, my brother said when I sent him the, the, uh, the, the photo of Roger Federer with Bear Grylls, he said, that's what life is for Roger now, isn't it? It is Lifetime Achievement Awards and glacier hiking with Bear Grylls, <laughs> with the odd bit of tennis here and there. Uh, I mean, yeah, what a great recipe for life. Congratulations, Roger Federer. I'm going to finish on a fun Bear Grylls story, a tennis-related Bear Grylls story I have for you. Uh, and I have to delve very deep into my shame well for this story so I hope you appreciate Tennis Podcast listeners uh, what I'm about to tell you which is that Annabelle Croft uh, off the telly David of Eurosport fame Annabelle Croft is a very good friend a personal friend of Bear Grylls they, uh, they've recently been on holiday together in the Caribbean they are not just the two of them families families um, <laughs> they are very very good friends and go back many years and we're kind of friendly with Annabelle so we're kind of friends with Bear so, well, no, da- no stop it David stop, stop me right there we're you've heard this story anyway Bear Grylls uh, when Annabelle was presenting uh, live at Wimbledon 
alongside me a couple of years ago, I think it was three years ago, Bear Grylls came to Wimbledon. And uh, Annabelle said to the producer, she said, oh, he's a good friend of mine. I'm sure he'll uh, come up to the studio if I ask him. And obviously the producer said, yes, 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 great. Let's get, let's get Bear Grylls up here. And um, for some reason in my head, I thought my brother was a big fan of Bear Grylls. It turns out, I mean, he likes Bear Grylls. He thinks he's fine, but he's not a massive fan. He's a fan of um, the other one on Discovery, Ian Stafford. Apparently he's Ian Stafford, something Stafford, Clive Stafford. There's apparently a far more hardcore bloke on Discovery that <laughs> that makes Bear Grylls look like a wet blanket. But anyway, Annabelle um, said, OK, OK, I'll text him. But anyway, Annabelle had to go on air because, you know, live telly uh, uh, on live at Wimbledon. So she gave him my number. So, no, she texted him and checked that he was OK to do it. He said, yes, that's fine. And uh, then passed on his number to me to do the finer uh, details of the arranging. Anyway, diddle a Arranged for texted Bear, not his real name, I'm sure. Um, he came on the set live at Wimbledon. He was great. Uh, and then he left and uh, everyone was delighted. I text my brother to say with the exact words, I just met Bear Grylls Spice World and uh, accidentally sent that text to Bear Grylls. <laughs> did he reply? He did not reply. <laughs> How disappointing. <laughs> You'd think he could have replied. I mean, he would have known that I had realised and was dying inside. I, I mean, I can't watch him on the telly. I just die inside every what time. Is, what does Spice World mean? It's an Alan Partridge quote. It's what you say when you're delighted with something. Spice World. Oh, I see. It's like back of the net or something like that. Anyway, there we go. I've delved into my shame well to bring you all the great anecdotes here on the tennis podcast. It is getting a bit chilly, having said that the conditions were tropical in Marleybone Station. It is getting a bit chilly because it's coming up to 9pm, the lengths we go to, guys, to bring you this fantastic tennis radio show. Uh, We're going to wrap up. It has been a pleasure to be with you. The tennis podcast brought to you in association with The Telegraph. We will be back next next week. Acast powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.